Oh, good morning, family. Good to see you guys. Hey, wasn't last week kind of a cool treat? It was awesome. Um, Pastor John did such a great job, and the team did such a great job. Um, I just thought that was what a great treat. Sing to God all Sunday. Uh, if you're a guest or a curious skeptic with us this morning, we're really glad that you're here also. Um, guys, grab your Bibles. Uh, if you have them, open them up. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Uh, as you guys know, during uh, Advent, we, we try to slow down and take time to focus on the incarnation. Uh, the, the incarnation is when God took on flesh. He became human. I, I think it's something that's really interesting is that of all the ways that God decided, because this was his plan, and he could have done it any way he wanted to, God decided, God chose to love us and redeem us, not by merely sending a message, and not by just sending a messenger, but by becoming like us. And that's really wonderful news. That might not sound like wonderful news right now, but I'm going to try to explain that. It's really wonderful news the way that he came to redeem us as well as that he came to redeem us. Are you tracking with me? The story that we're going to be reading uh, this morning takes place 12 years after the birth of Jesus. It's a very unique story. It's only in Luke. So with that in mind, give your attention, please, to the reading of God's powerful word. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Wonderful Father, thank you for speaking to us today. Um, you always tell us things we need to hear. Uh, whether we 
appreciate it or not at the time, you always tell us things we need to hear. Lord, there are some of us here today that this is a difficult time of year, this Christmas season. Uh, we're missing people. Um, we're in difficult, um, strained relationships. It fills us with anxiety. Some of us, it fills us with aloneness and sadness, and it's a difficult time. Lord, I just want to acknowledge that to you. And Lord, I know that you see that. So would you speak uh, into our lives in those areas of our lives? Would you come down and come into those spaces with us right now and minister to us as we need? Um, bring your joy and bring faith to trust in you. Lord, I pray that you would help me today. I need your help today uh, to speak cleanly, plainly, boldly in a way that would uh, actually help people and I want to talk in a way that would please you, even if it doesn't please anyone else. I really want to please you today. So would you help me do that? Speak to us now. We're listening. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. The story of Jesus does not hang in midair, uh, disconnected from reality like a lot of uh, Savior stories. Uh, that people have written about over the years. Uh, Jesus doesn't just uh, randomly drop out of the sky uh, and start saying controversial things and start doing really amazing things. That's not the story of Jesus. Jesus actually drops into history. Did you know that? You may have, but I just want to highlight that. Jesus actually drops into history, into time and space. His coming is foretold for generations upon generations, and his coming is actually in response to something. It's a continuation of something that's, that's happened. He's responding to a tragedy that happened to all of humanity in the Garden of Eden. That's what his coming is about. Adam and Eve rebelled against the Creator. Sin entered the world and death followed. And it hasn't left yet. On that very day, that day of their rebellion, uh, all of our essential relationships began to die. And this is important because to be human is to be saturated in relationships that we constantly have to navigate every day of our life. That's why this matters. Not only do you and I have different kinds of relationships that have different rules according to the kind of relationship. Do you know what I mean, different kinds of relationship? You have like a relationship with your coworkers. That's a kind of a relationship, right? Then you have a family relationships. You have a parent-child relationship, which is a subset of that family relationship. You have romantic relationships, how I relate to my career or my work. Not only do we have different kinds of relationships, each with their own rules that we follow, but each of those individual relationships in themselves has its own dynamic of healthiness or unhealthiness. Do you understand what I'm saying? So like there's a layer upon layer of complexity to just having these relationships. I mean, have you ever noticed that relationships just don't stay put? Have you noticed that? They don't. 
You can't like time freeze a relationship for six months and like pick it up where you left off, right? Another way, you, you can't just ignore a person for a year and think that relationship is not going to deteriorate, right? We know this from just normal life. They are dyna- dynamic things. They're constantly either strengthening or weakening. There is no plateauing with relationships. You may think they've plateaued and they've stayed the same, but they are not. They are living dynamic things. They are they getting stronger or they're getting weaker. They're either living or they're dying. They're flourishing or they're decaying all the time. It's happening right now while I'm talking with you. This is a relationship, right? And we are navigating this together. It's happening in real time. I want you to be conscious of this a little bit. It is complicated to live as a human, right? Because we are saturated in relationships. We're thoroughly relational beings. And sin, just like gravity, is constantly putting this pressure on these already complicated and tenuous relationships. Just bearing down on it. And so we live our life with a lot of angst. Do you know what angst is? It's not just for teenagers, by the way. We live life with angst. Angst is that feeling uh, of, of deep anxiety or dread of the human experience. It's just, I'm aware that I'm human, and I don't like it. That's angst. Okay? Here's what I mean. We were made, we were designed for intimate and satisfying relationship with others, with ourselves, and with our creator, but what we experience is angst. And we not be, may not be aware of it. It's like low grade a lot of times. And we just try to suppress it and move on. But it's there. Our relationships are kind of out of order, amen? A lot of them are out of whack. You know what I mean? I mean, we either put too important, too much importance on certain relationships or we say, hey, well, I'm not going to be like those people, those dependent, needy people that put too much in de- importance on it. I'm going to put too little importance on all my relationships, and that's how I'm going to deal with it. And that just breaks them just the same. Additionally, our relationships are complicated. They're constantly in flux. They're moving. They're like water in a river. You never step in the same river twice, Right? And so our relationships are oftentimes a source of personal insecurity because they affect our daily life. We can't get away from relating to different people and things. And some of us are actually experiencing this right now due to the holidays. For some of you, for some of us, Christmas is not the most wonderful time of the year. It's the most angst-filled time of the year. Because you're navigating all these relationships. And all at the same time, it's heightened. It's ramped up at this time of the year. So what we could ignore that through most of our life, because we're at work or school, we're off work, we're off kind of school, and we've got to deal with this now. You understand what I'm saying? And into this deep dread, into this anxiety of being a human, steps God to redeem humanity. God chooses, of all the ways he could, God chooses to redeem us by entering into fully human relationships and becoming one of us. 
Jesus came in the flesh to remove our angst of being human. That's the big idea for today. Jesus came to remove our angst of being human. And today I want to talk about how Jesus did this by entering into our angst and by reordering our relationships. First, Jesus removes our angst of being human by entering into our angst. He enters into our angst. This story is actually a really fascinating account of Jesus in that it is really the only story that we have of his life as a boy. Do you know that? It's kind of cool. And what makes it interesting is how normal a child Jesus is. Like of all of his silent years, this is the one story we get in the silent years. What was he doing? What was happening? So we need to pay attention to this story. And I want you to notice, there's nothing supernatural happening in this account. There is no feats of cosmic power. There is no feeding 5,000 people with just some bread. There is no walking on the water. There is no lightning storm, right? There's no miracles like we have in apocryphal writings of Jesus. Luke intentionally, by the way, bookends this story of the temple that we read by repeating at the front and at the back that Jesus the child, Jesus the child grew in wisdom and in physical strength and in favor with God and man. Jesus learned things. And his body got bigger and stronger. Just like an ordinary boy would have back then. This is so utterly ordinary. It's amazing it's in the Bible. Jesus is fully human. And then we have this. Go with, go with me to verse 45 here. And when they, that's Joseph and Mary, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. We're going to get to that in a minute. Searching for him. Are you picturing parents doing this? Picture this, please. So after three days, they found him, where? In the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. When the people that were there heard him, they were amazed. When his parents show up, they're astonished at what they see. His mother says to him, son, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I, this sounds so mom, doesn't it? Your father and I, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress, she says. Okay? Here's what's so ordinary about this. Jesus got parents, <laughs> right? Just like you did. You do. Jesus has parents. God Almighty in the flesh experiences what it's like to have parents that are exercising authority over him. God given authority, by the way. 
Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. For it will go well for you, and you will enjoy a long life. Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. That's one of the first verses we memorize in our house. Because <laughs> it's, the, it's, the, it's the first commandment that has a promise. And that's what it says in verse 3. Their distress, it says, because they're, f- why? Filled with, with angst. They don't understand what he's doing there. And they're filled with angst. There's like three different times it says they didn't know where he was. They didn't know what this meant. They don't know. They, are, they are, don't understand. They're filled with this dread, this angst. Guys, just think about all the relationships that have to be navigated because Jesus decides he's going to spend the night in the temple. Think about all the myriad and myriad of relationships that had to be, like that set off a domino effect. You understand what I'm saying? Mary and Joseph, they're talking to one another. Where's the boy? I don't know. You had him last. No, I didn't. You said you had. Mary and Joseph. So they're having that dynamic, right? Husband and wife dynamic of relationship, that category of relationship, right? Then it says that they're going and they're talking to all their other relatives that's in their caravan that have gone, they're done worshiping for Passover. Hey, Uncle, you know, Bob, where is it? I don't know. I I just imagine them saying, what, you're asking me where your child is? What kind of parent are you? See, they're nav- and that's like, that's like dozens of relationships that they're navigating because they're going to all these people talk, Where, where's Jesus? Where's our boy? Uh, imagine them thinking things like this. Well, what if something bad happened to Jesus? I mean, this is their only son. But what happens if we cannot find him? What will it mean for Jesus? <laughs> what will it mean for us as parents? You see, they're having this, this relationship within themselves. What does it mean for me? You know, you've thought these thoughts. And then finally, finally they find Jesus, and then there's this whole parent-child relationship that they have to navigate now. See, that's sprung into action now. We can't get away from this stuff. Mary actually verbalizes, I think Mary verbalizes what we all feel as humans. We searched in great distress. We're not methodically going about doing this. To be human, guys, in this sin-wrecked world is to be aware of a multitude of things that could go wrong at any minute, in any scenario. That's what it means to be human. You're aware of all of that. We've bitten off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And here's the wonder of the incarnation. Instead of being above all that distress and him being above all of that mess of what it means to be human, Jesus places himself right in the middle of it. Instead of being immune to our angst, the angst of being human, he enters into it experientially. He drops right down into it. Physically. Parents, I I just want you to imagine if your parent, imagine your middle schooler, 12 years old, that's middle school. So imagine your middle schooler, your seventh grader, spending the night at a church in Seattle or maybe a seminary classroom. Because you travel that far. They just decide they're going to spend the night in a church over there. And they don't bother to tell you that's where they're going to spend the night. 
And, they, and by the way, they don't tell anybody else that. Nobody knows that's what they're doing that night. Just imagine that as a parent. I mean, and then when you find him, you'd be relieved that he's unharmed, right? And then you would want to be the one that would kill him, right? <laughs> like, how do you navigate that frustration of the, of the parent-child relationship? Can you feel that? I want you to feel this is real, okay? How do you navigate that angst? Because you're like, I, I don't want to drive him away, but man, I want to, you know, like, you're wrestling with that, right? That's real, if you're here and you're a middle schooler, maybe you're a high schooler, maybe you're under the, the, the roof of your parents, their authority right now, have you ever tried to just explain yourself to your parents? You ever try to do that? And they didn't understand? They didn't understand. They walked in, you're like, no, 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 dad, dad, it's not what it looks like. I, I, it's not what, I know you heard that, but it's not what it sounded like. If you'd heard the first half of that phone call, now, I was doing the right thing. I was doing what was most important, Mom. And they're like, they don't understand. You ever felt that? They don't understand. And you're trying to explain, and they don't understand. That's exactly what happened to Jesus. Not close. That's exactly what happened to Jesus. Listen, guys, Jesus knows what it's like to be you at whatever age you are. And in whatever role you find yourself in any given relationship. Isn't that cool? Isn't Jesus wonderful? Jesus knows what it's like to, be, to have both favor and disfavor with your parents, your neighbors, your teachers, with your friends. I got favor with the cool kids, now I don't. I got favor with my parents, now I don't. I've got favor with my children who love me, now they don't. He knows. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to bump up into other people's angst that they're trying to offload on you. Jesus knows what it's like to be both in authority and under authority. Authority. Oh, yes, he does. Oh, yes, he does. Look, look, look here, verse 51. And he went down with them, that's Mary and Joseph, and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And that's after this little talk they had. And he said, okay, I'll go with you, Mom and Dad. You don't understand, but I'm going to go with you. I'll go with you. I'll listen to you, even though you don't understand. Jesus was a good boy, wasn't he? Here is God in the flesh, the Savior of the very people that, that are trying to raise him and are currently perplexed at what he's doing. And what does young 12-year-old Jesus do? He submits to their authority and goes back under their roof until manhood. I mean, his voice hasn't even started cracking. He's 12. This is what he does. And he's God. He's God. And he knows how to submit. Jesus is able to remove our angst of being human in a fallen world. Why? Because he bore all those same relationships himself by becoming like us in every way. In every way. Fully human. 
truly human. When we trust Jesus to be our Savior, guys, we are trusting someone that knows what we need. When you call out to him in prayer, you're calling upon someone that intimately understands your situation. So when you pray and you explain your situation, he's going, yes, I know, yes, I get that, I get you. He's literally walked miles and miles and miles and miles in your shoes. And he's experienced what you're experiencing. So pray to Jesus in your angst. Hey, listen to me. Are you listening to me? Please listen to me. Pray to Jesus in your angst. Talk to him. Call out to him in those relationships. You do not have to walk through those fragile and frustrating and ever-in-flux relationships all by yourself. Isn't that good news? This is exactly why Jesus came in the flesh, to enter your angst with you. So you're not alone in that. So what? So invite him into that space with you through prayer. And then that means five times that day, then ask him five times. Say, keep coming. And then look for his hand to be at work in that relationship. Oh, and by the way, look for his hand to be at work in you. Secondly, Jesus reordered our relationships. He's removed our angst by reordering all of our relationships. Let's go to the text, verse 48. It says, And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. So the people were amazed, but they're astonished. The mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? <laughs> Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. He's not just responding. He's telling them something. There's a, it's a saying, right? They didn't understand what he was trying to say. So here it is. What's going on? 12-year-old Jesus 12-year-old Jesus is reminding his father and mother something very important in this scene. That though he's like them in every human way, he is also unlike them in one important way. He has been sent on a mission by God for the flourishing of all people, not just that family. He's on a mission from God. See, back in that day, uh, a Jewish boy was morally responsible for obeying uh, the scriptures by the age of 13. How old is Jesus here? 12. Okay? They're morally responsible. That's, that was the age of accountability back then. 13. He's got to obey the scriptures, which meant that a boy needed to learn what God required of him 
before his 13th birthday. I mean, how can you obey something that you don't know, right? Makes sense. I mean, he didn't have to, like, memorize it. He didn't have to, like, be a scholar or something. Like, he just needed to have a working knowledge of what God requires of him, what God expects of him, what, God, what are the expectations, so he can go and do that. And get this, here is Jesus spending the night in the temple. The temple. That's like a church and a seminary all together, all right? The, the, the temple, that's a place of learning and instruction of the word of God and is also the place of worshiping and encountering the living God. It's both those. It's both the learning and knowing and the experiencing of God in that place because that's where God came down and he lived, right there. Jesus is demonstrating here, this, uh, uh, he has got this astonishing hunger to know and to understand what God requires of him. And he shows this amazing wisdom in how to apply it. Like it's making sense to him. He's just hungry to learn more about his father. He wants to know more and more and more. He doesn't want to stop because the festival is over and go back home. He doesn't want to take a break. Are you picturing this? Are you guys getting this? Jesus is here saturating himself with learning about his father's will. What does the father require of me? What does he demand? What's he expect? What's he want for me? What's he want to give me? He wants to know all of that stuff. And he's learning from the best teachers of the day. And guess what? He's keeping up with them in high theological conversations with them at 12 years old. He's not getting worn out, all right? He's not bored. Well, let's talk about the providence of God for another hour. Oh, I'm kind of bored of that, like a 12-year-old might be. No, it's not bored of that. Let's talk about the book of Numbers. Sure. I got all day. In fact, I want to learn that book of the Bible. I want to know all this stuff. I want to know my father. He's not bored. He's not maxed out. He's not lost his attention span. Like, I gotta go play a game of soccer with my pals and we'll take a study break and come back. No, he's spending the night like more. I want more. I'm hungry. I want to know who God is, this God is, right? My father is. And here's the other thing. Back in that day, you'd have one rabbi and you'd have a select group of students. Okay? What's going on in this scene? You got a bunch of teachers and one student. Do you see the hunger? Okay, you teach me. You talk to me. You, okay, okay, you done? You max out? Okay, you, you next. I got some more. Come on, let, talk to me. Talk to me. Let's tease this out. Oh, you're, you're maxed out? You need a break? Okay, I want to know more. I'm not done. I can't get enough of knowing the will of my Father. It lights me up. What does this mean for our boy? That's what Mary and Joseph are thinking. It says they're astonished. <laughs> What? He's flip-flopped this dynamic of these relationships. What's going on here? What's that mean? There's something significant. I want you to notice this. When Mother Mary finds uh, Jesus learning from the teachers of the law, the temple, she addresses Jesus' son, right? Son. She's trying to son him. And she refers to Joseph as his father, right? You notice that? And then she says that they're in distress searching for them. Because they've gone to all the family, they checked that, they checked with each other, they checked, the, they retraced their strength, and then they finally come to the temple, right? So they're searching with them in great distress. 
She talks to Jesus as if it's a typical mother relationship with a typical boy, right? But Jesus' response, it, it lets his mother know, this is not a typical relationship with a typical boy. And he says, yeah, well, why did you go look everywhere? Why didn't you come here first? You knew that I needed to be in my father's house. You knew I needed to be learning all that he requires of me and all that he expects of me and all that he demands of me. You knew that. Jesus reminds Mary of something that both the angels and the prophets have told her multiple, multiple times already in the book of Luke. And it says that Jesus is her child, but he is ultimately God's son. He's same, but he's different. Jesus says something here that nobody before him said. He calls God his father. That's big time. Jesus is claiming to have an intimate relationship with God unlike any other human. And unlike any other human, Jesus strongly desires to do what makes his heavenly father happy and pleased with him. Even if it frustrates his earthly parents right now, he's willing to do that because he loves his father. Je I mean, he says it all through the book of John, right? He, like, he wakes up thinking of his father. What could I do that would make you happy, father? I only want to do what I see you do. I want to say what you want me to say. My food is do the will, your will, not my will. I want your will all day, every day, all day long. That's all I want to do is make you happy. So what would that be today, Father? And what, by the way, what does make his father, his father happy? Well, I mean, what is this mission that Jesus came in the flesh to fulfill? That he came not just to be Mary's son, but to be the ultimate son that pleases the Father for all people. Jesus came to be the son that you and I could not be. Jesus was the good son, you're not. Jesus is the good boy, he's the good girl, you're not. Isn't that great? He came to be the son that you and I could not be so that in Jesus, in Christ, we could be called sons and daughters of the Most High God. Look at it, it's in John 1. John 1, 11 says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, what's that? Believe in his name, that's how you receive Jesus, right? He gave the right to be called children of God. You don't have that right. You don't have that right. But Jesus came to give you that right to be called children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of man, uh, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's a what and that's a how. Jesus came to give us the right to be called the children of God. How? The coming in the flesh. 
by dwelling among us as the perfect son for us, as us. This is, the, this is why the incarnation is such good news, guys. If we want to know what God is like, then we need to look at Jesus. And if we want to know what we're to be like, we need to look at Jesus. He is the son who had an intimate relationship with his father. That relationship is what it means to be truly human. That may be a new category for some of you to think in. Did you notice how calm and confident 12-year-old Jesus was with the grown-ups in the room? Did you happen to notice that? Mary and Joseph? He tells us why he's so confident in what he's doing. He's not like, oh my gosh, they caught me. I better put that away. You know, he's not doing any of that stuff. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I'm doing that. Right? Did you notice that? He tells us why he's so confident in what he's doing. He says, he's in his father's house. I'm in my father's house. Jesus knows with confidence who loves him the most, and he knows with confidence what his father wants him to do with his life. And because he is clear and confident on that primary relationship, Jesus can confidently navigate all his other relationships. Listen, guys, it's the same is true for us. When we are clear and confident in our primary relationship with God as Father, we can confidently navigate all our other relationships. They get reordered. They get in their right order. Jesus came to put you and I into relationship with the Father just like he is. He wants to share that relationship, not like a a, a photocopy of it. He wants to share that relationship that he has with the Father with you and with me. Isn't that amazing? What a gift. Jesus literally reorders all our relationships in their proper place by making a way for us to have the relationship with God that we were made to have. When God becomes your Father who loves you intimately, when knowing God when knowing God becomes the most important relation for you, I just want to know what you, what do you want? Who are you? I just want to know you, Father. When that becomes, knowing God like that becomes the most important relationship in your life, that relationship puts all other relationships in their proper place. Now, because God is our Father, He's not just Jesus' Father, not just someone else's Father, not because, because He's my Father, because He's our Father. We don't have to live for other people's acceptance. And we do not die from their rejection because we have been fully accepted by our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ, through the relation with Jesus Christ. Somebody need to hear that today. Maybe me. When you become a true son or daughter of God, when that and that happens, that transformation happens, you can actually navigate all the other important relationships in your life. You have a resource, okay, that helps you navigate all those other relationships. You can actually begin to serve people in love instead of needing them to love you. 
And that's why we're in this relationship. You can actually start to speak truth to people that you're in relationship with. The truth that they need to hear, even though it might frustrate that relationship. They may not call you for a couple weeks. They may not come back to church for a couple of weeks. You know what I'm saying? You can do that when you know this is the primary relationship. It means you can actually open your heart and your home to others, though they may not reciprocate. In fact, they may actually hurt you. You, may, you open yourself and they may actually use all those things you shared against you. But this empowers you to do that. When you begin to believe that God is your father, you can become free from the angst, the angst of how a person might react when you finally have to fire them. Because that's going to cause some backlash for you for a while, but it needs to be done. Or the angst, you're free from that angst of how your daughter might respond when you question her about her fiancé's habits. And we've got to have talk about some of these habits. But you're free from that angst. Or what your dad will think about your sudden career change or if a fellow church member leaves because you confronted a sin in their life. You can walk into those relationships now because you have this relationship, this primary relationship. It's not that those relationships no longer affect us. They do affect us profoundly, but they no longer crush us because there is something underneath that relationship that buoys us up. Those relationships no longer control our decisions. They no longer control and consume our, our thought life for hours and hours and hours and hours. And just, like, how can I manage all this and manage other people's emotions? They don't have to do that. We're free from that angst. That's what that is. That's angst. And we're free from that because we have the one relationship that ultimately matters. You've got the one inexhaustible love that actually matters and is forever secure. And that is good news for angst-filled people, people like me. And that is the gospel of Jesus applied to life. And by the way, how do we get that relationship with God? I mean, do we have to spend all night reading the Bible till we can't see straight in the morning? Like, is that how we do this, you know? I mean, do we need to have to go off to seminary for three years and learn from the best scholars, uh, you know, in the the world? Do we have to obey all of God's commandments the very best that we can, and maybe God will see if we're worthy of his love, we're worthy of having this kind of intimate relationship, this inexhaustible love? No, no. A hundred times, no. Don't have to do that then how do we get that one relationship that reorders all these other important relationships? Because I want to know that. That's important. It's through relying on the studying and the learning and the obeying and the working and the working and the working that Jesus did as one of us for us. Jesus worked hard ever since he was a boy. He worked hard to make a pathway for you and I to be known and known by our Heavenly Father as our Father who loves us. He started that early. You understand what I'm saying? Didn't take a day off. He was serious that that pathway would be made. 
Look at verse 52 again. This is something that's interesting. It says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. See those two categories of relationships? This is whole thing saturated with like relationships. It says Jesus increased. The, the, the Greek word there for increase is prokopto. Prokopto means to cut one's way forward. To cut one way's One's way forward. So think about a ship fighting against the wind, and it's cutting against the wind to get to its destination where it is going to dock. That is prokopto. The ship is prokoptoing its way there, right? Or think about a man who's like out in the woods or something. He's clearing a path to get to the top of the mountain. There is not a path there. He is taking a machete, and he is clearing. A, he is prokoptoing his way to the summit because that's his destination. Jesus prokoptoed in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus didn't just grow up into man the way that all boys did. I mean, he did. We read that, right? But he also didn't. There was also something very unique about his growing up. He cut a new way forward into true human flourishing so that we could follow him and flourish as well. Isn't that good news? It is only through Jesus that we can be truly human, fully human. Why? Because it's only through Jesus that we can have a relationship with God as our Father. There's not another way that that happens. He made that way. Good news. Jesus did all the work necessary for us to have a favorable relationship with God and to have a rightly ordered relationships with everybody else. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. Guys, what does that mean? How do you respond to that? Here's how. Rely. Don't just believe mentally. Rely on all the work that Jesus did in your complicated relationships right now. Go into those relationships that are complicated and drama and there's backstory and what have you. Go into that, rely, I'm going to rely, not on me, I'm going to rely on you, Jesus, right now. I'm, gonna, I'm asking you, come into this space, into this loneliness, into this drama and all the work that you did so that I could have rela- these relationships. I'm going to rely on you. Trust, trust him. How about this? Thank him for the work that he did. Open our mouth. I'm I'm not about like literally thank him, not just like feel thankful. Thank him as an action. Thank him for the work that he did. You feel like you lost your childhood? Jesus was working, man. He sacrificed his childhood for your life. Thank him. Thank him for all the work that he did for you. He loves you that much. He loves you. How about this? Praise him. Praise him for all the work that he did for you. So you could follow in his footsteps. We work now because we love him. We work now to say gratitude. Thank you. I appreciate you. Rely on him. Thank him. Praise him. Let's pray. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We love you. (laughs) Thank you for loving us. You've loved us in a way that no one else has. 
Um, the things that you went through, the journey that you took, the miles that you crossed from heaven to earth, to, to, it, it just blows my mind thinking about the incarnation of what you did for us, as us. But I pray that this word would get deep in the hearts. I pray that you give medicine. It'd be medicine to those that need medicine and are hurting. And I pray for it. It'd be food to strengthen muscles of people that need food. And I know you, Holy Spirit, are gonna, you're gonna help decipher who needs what. But heal us where we're sin sick and sore and feed us where we're hungry. Your word is food. Your spirit is life. Grant us your spirit now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.